At this time, we're going to hear the word of the Lord uh, for this morning. Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And now moving to Genesis 2, starting at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Corey up here, or Reverend Doctor, whatever you prefer. <laughs> Corey uh, Wilson is a professor of missiology at Calvin Seminary, so I had him as a prof. Uh, also a mentor and as a friend, so this is pretty fun that we get to have him come here and, and bring us God's word. So let's take a moment to pray over Corey. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it's living and active, and how your word always goes out and fulfills its intended purpose, never returning to you without affecting what you desired for it to happen. So we pray that that would be the case here in this space, that you would speak through Corey and cause your word to fall fresh on our minds, in our ears, and that that word would cause us to live differently and more so for you than we have before. We pray that your word would cause life change in us. In Jesus' name we pray confidently. Amen. 
Well, good morning <coughs> to all of those here in body, and uh, it's wonderful to be with you. And good morning to those who are joining us uh, through live stream. Uh, among those would be uh, my son, Warren. I love you. I'll be home for lunch. Monica, my mother-in-law, Carol, I love you as well. We'll see you um, in a little bit. Um, but it's wonderful. It's an honor for me to be with you this morning. Um, and it's a joy to partner with Pastor Steve and Emily, as well as Steve and the worship band with Cheryl, Jim, another Steve, Amy. And I just want to say, any Steves I haven't met yet, um, it's wonderful to meet you. Um, I have heard a lot about this church from, from Casey and Steve and Emily from some of the courses that they've taken with me. And so it's a, it's a real joy and delight to be with you and worship with you this morning. Growing up, uh, in my church, we had a yearly celebration called Mission Sunday. Maybe you have something like that here. I know it is common in some Christian Reformed churches. Uh, often a missionary in my church would be home on furlough, uh, and so uh, they would preach the sermon that Sunday. And most often it was something connected to the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And the song selection, I grew up in an evangelical uh, world, and so the song selection was always something from Keith Green, so those of you who are familiar with the 70s or 80s, Keith Green, a few of his songs were Jesus Commands Us to Go, and How Can They Live Without Jesus, um, or even Connie Scott's 1985 hit that I used to love, um, I Want Jesus in Your Heart, all very evangelistically focused. But perhaps uh, most memorable for me was the mission map. Uh, and this was displayed out in the, in the narthex as we came through, made our way into the sanctuary. There was a map of the world, and they would have pins next to it where all the missionaries that we were supporting were serving. And they would often have pictures of the families, of those missionary families, right next to it. Anybody have seen that before? I was teaching at LaGrave CRC downtown a couple years ago, and they actually have, in a wooden case the mission map, and you'd push a button, it would light up all the places. I'm like, this is right there. I didn't even know. Like, they have a case right downstairs underneath the sanctuary. Anyway, random note. Um, that's not part of the sermon. Just I, I, I know that this is common within your churches as well. Um, so I'm deeply grateful. I don't know about you, but I'm deeply grateful for my childhood faith formation. Um, Sun, uh, mission Sunday and the teaching and the emphasis on mission and overseas uh, world mission and evangelism was really, it instilled in me a deep love for Jesus, uh, the authority of the scripture that had direction on how we live our lives, but also the, a deep passion was instilled in me to make sure that, that every person heard the gospel wherever they were around the world. But as I got a little older, all this emphasis on, on overseas mission, I, I became a little perplexed, particularly as I made my way from high school to college. I started to ask questions like, well, what about my dad who taught auto shop at the community college? Or my friend's mom who was a principal at a public school? Or even my mom who was a secretary at a dental office? Was their work a part of God's mission? Did it have a role to play in God's purposes? Was there any room for them on the mission map? My aim for you this morning is not in any way to diminish our commitment, your commitment to evangelism and world mission at all. But what I want to do is expand or broaden our understanding of God's mission 
and particularly the role that your daily work plays in God's purposes. So before we get to going too far, I don't want to lose many of you in the room. Let me define by what I mean by work. And Mindy did a great job of explaining it just a minute ago to the children. When I'm speaking of work this morning, um, I'm speaking of where do you spend a majority of time throughout your week? Where do you put your creative uh, culture-making or service gifts to use? Uh, this could be paid or unpaid in the home or outside of the home. For some of you, it, it work is primarily raising a family. For other, others of you who are retired, uh, maybe it's in with the community that you're living in. Or as I met an older gentleman recently, he viewed his, the gym where he went to every morning as a place where he intentionally inve invested in the younger men uh, the, at the gym that he knew and he met. For many of you, though, work is where you get your paycheck. And so my message, though, is for all of you, broadly defined, what is your work? Where do, where do you put your time throughout the week? Where are those communities? And even as you began to do on this map, where you're spending time volunteering or at a nonprofit or at a little league, wherever it may be, think of that as your work. So whether it's housework, schoolwork, volunteer work, or paid work, you're all in my scope this morning, all right? So no one can just check out, I hope. If you want to, it's all right. Um, I'll give you a pass, but... Um, where you spend significant amount of your time, that's your work. And I'm going to try to talk to you this morning and help you connect how that work connects with God's mission. Now, it may seem like an obvious choice to begin with Matthew 28 that I just read a minute ago. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is an important text, and it has actually been a rallying cry for Christian missions for the last two centuries. But if we limit our vision of how we understand God's mission to this text alone— then there will be little room for your work or mine to fit on God's mission map. It is true, we do see in this text, there is a, a global scope to missions. Go and make disciples of all nations, right? But the word nations here is actually in the Greek, it means ta ethne, or it is ta ethne, and it means all people groups. So this means everywhere people gather. Okay, yes, it is in other countries around the world, but it would also include industries like finance, technology, business, healthcare, agriculture, and all the trades, plumbing, construction, manufacturing. Right? Where are people gathering? Little leagues, uh, Boy Scouts, wherever it may be, right? Girl Scouts. Each one of these people groups is an essential part, or plays a, is part of the scope of God's concern and his mission. So one of the first things we need to do uh, is to update the mission map from my childhood. So that it includes not only overseas missions, which is important, but also the various trades and industries, the daily work that occupies our, our, our week, right, our life. The old Dutch missionary theologian, Henrik Kramer, put it this way, the laity in their daily work are at the front line, the leading edge of God's mission in the world. 
So all of you in your daily work are at the front line of God's mission in the world. There's no two tiers, pastors and missionaries up here and then all the rest of us to just make money to give to support them. That's important. But you actually are on the front line of God's mission, says our old uh, Dutch theologian, Hendrik Kramer. Because it's in your daily work that you display Christ's relevance to the whole range of human life. Right? Thinking through whatever that work is, whether you're in, you know, in finance or accounting or engineering, what is, the, what is the relevance? How does Christ and his love and his justice, what does that look like for me to try to align my work with that here in this place? So that's the first thing. We need to update the mission map. But there's another dimension to God's mission as well that we need to see in Matthew 28. Jesus instructs us to do more than simply preach and evangelize. He also teaches us to, uh, calls us to teach and disciple as well. Right? Teach them all that I commanded you. So what did Jesus mean by that? What did he have in mind? If we turn back just a few chapters in Matthew 28, and if you have a Bible, you can turn there to Matthew 22, um, or just listen to this. Jesus summarizes the entire ethical teaching of Scripture into two commands, loving God and loving our neighbor. If we are to love God faithfully, it should be reflected in how we love our neighbor, is what Jesus is saying. But Scripture also goes on to point out that there is not a more tangible means for expressing our love for God and our love for neighbor than through our daily work. So let me just give you a few examples. You may recall Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Right? After his meal with Jesus in his home, how did he demonstrate his repentance and his dis decision to follow Jesus? Right? A change in how he did his daily work. Right? No longer was he going to exploit his fellow Jews and take more than he should have. He's going to uphold God's standards of justice in his daily work. That was how he demonstrated love for God through his love for neighbor in his daily work. And Jesus, when he says, you know, uh, love, um, two commandments, love God and love neighbor, he's actually quoting Leviticus 19. And if you look at Leviticus 19, this is where God commands Israel, love your neighbor as yourself. That passage in Leviticus 19 goes on into very specific detail of how you are to love your neighbor through how you engage in your daily work, right? Don't exploit the workers who don't have the same kind of power or privilege that you do. Treat them with justice, right? Particularly those who are immigrant, refugees, uh, widows, or orphans. But also, don't use unjust scales. Don't, you, you don't be unethical in your business dealings. Don't be shady. Uphold this vision of justice in your daily work. That's how you are to Love your neighbor as yourself. So over and over again in Scripture, we, we learn that we can't love God faithfully without loving our neighbor through our daily work. So if we want to be faithful to the Great Commission, to God's mission, we should not fa fail to see how our daily work, your daily work, is central, not secondary, to loving God and participating in his mission. So the question is, why have we missed this larger vision of God's mission? Why is it, why is it that we don't, it doesn't come to mind that these mission maps are just a little um, helpful, but maybe a little misleading at certain times? One reason is that we haven't fully appreciated the teaching of Genesis 1 and 2 that Steve and Cheryl read for us this morning. 
So in the time I have remaining with you, Pastor Steve asked me to unpack a few key teachings from Genesis 1 and 2. And I want to highlight the ways in which this passage, these two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, help us understand God's mission in a broader scope and the vital, vital role that your daily work plays in God's mission. So the first thing, Genesis 1 and 2, I want you to see is that God called Adam and Eve to be royal priests who served him through their daily work. On page one of the Bible, we learn that God is a worker and he is on mission, and that is to create a world that is full of life, full of flourishing, full of justice. And he created Adam and Eve, humanity, to participate in this project, this mission of creating a just and flourishing world. And this theme, though, of being a royal priesthood, that we began to see the seeds in Genesis 1 and 2, becomes much more pronounced later in the Bible. So, for example, in Exodus 19, God rescues Israel out of slavery to Egypt, and he forms them into a nation, into a people. And he calls them, you will be a priestly nation, or a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. Later in the New Testament, 1 Peter and the book of Revelation, they pick up on this kingdom of priests language or uh, royal priesthood, and they use it to summarize, to distill the core identity and mission of God's people. You are a royal priesthood, is what 1 Peter says. Revelation 5 and 7 repeats that. What I want you to see, though, is that this royal priesthood is not something completely new that the New Testament writers made up. It is actually a recovery and a development of the mission that God gave to Adam and Eve to humanity in Genesis 1 and 2. The Dutch theologian, I'm sorry, after this there will be no more quoting of Dutch theologians, but we are, this is a Christian Reformed church, so Abraham Kuyper, one of my heroes, he articulates, he taught um, about Genesis 1 and 2 and this royal priesthood theme. Here's how he articulated it. What we see in Eden is that humanity's role was to gather up creation in order to consecrate it in a priestly fashion to God and to dedicate it to him in a kingly fashion forever. Adam and Eve's daily garden work was priestly work, was royal work. Tending to the land and the animals was a way of reflecting God's royal image and in so doing, offering priestly worship to God. They aren't two separate acts. Their work was worship. Their gardening was worship. Naming animals was worship. We also see, though, this royal, this royal priestly dimension of Genesis 1 and 2 when we read the creation stories from ancient Israel's neighbors, the creation stories, say, of Babylon. In the Babylonian creation myth, it tells a story of a victorious god, Marduk, who slayed one of his rival deities and then took the dead body of that god and formed humanity out of it. So in the Babylonian uh, worldview and in their religion, um, for the gods, the work was a burden. And so Marduk formed humans and passed off that burden to humans. So work was a way, a a form of, of slave labor. 
humans were a disposable resource to satisfy the insatiable appetites, the hungry belly of Babylonian gods. That's what their creation story taught them. And so and to ensure this implementation of this slave labor, these Babylonian gods installed a king who was the image of God or of the gods in order to rule over the laborers. And then they established, the, the Babylonians' gods established um, priests who would take up the, the work from the, from the slave laborers and offer it as an offering to God, to the gods. Any attempt to reform labor was considered anarchy or treason. treason. So in this alternative worldview, this alternative creation story of Babylon, we see that work was oppressive and actually it legitimizes oppressing workers. And against this backdrop, you begin to see a, how, a little bit more clearly how powerful the message of Genesis and how life-giving the, the, the message of Genesis 1 and 2 can be, right? So you can almost hear God's, God's uh, counter vision of humanity and work, his passion coming through as he talks to Israel. He says, Israel, you are my image. You are not Egypt or Babylonian, Babylon's disposable workforce. And it is not just the, the kings or the pharaohs who are the ones who exclusively get to bear my image. All people, all workers bear my image, says God. So now you can see from, as you read the story of Genesis, in, in the light of this larger surrounding narratives of other religions around Israel, tending to Eden's, uh, to Eden in its cultivation and development, this is what Genesis 1 calls to, to fill and subdue the earth. This was royal priestly work. It was a primary way Adam and Eve participated in God's mission. And reflecting the the, the reflecting God's life-giving stewardship and power out to the world and how they brought order to creation and naming the animals, this was a fundamental way that Israel engaged in a priestly act of worship, the way that they offered up to God the work of their hands. So Genesis tells us that work was intended to be good, and it is a fundamental way not, we not only bear God's image, but participate with him in his mission of creating a flourishing world. A few years ago, I met a woman who worked as an administrative assistant, and then the 2008 recession hit and she was laid off, and she decided to go into business for herself, and she ended up offering her services to several companies. And as she talked about her work, I interviewed her um, for part of my research, and she, as she talked about her work, one of the things that, she, that happened is her face would light up as she would talk about the way that her work as an administrative assistant um, allowed her to combine her relational gifts with uh, her organizational skills. And she would talk about an Excel spreadsheet and how she was able to use this tool to, act to help solve some of the complex problems these businesses were having. And she lit up and she said this, I wrote it down. She said, there are moments in my work when I sense a deep communion with God. It's like feeling a deep co contentment with who God has made me to be. I sense his delight in me as I do my work. One of the things I learned from her as I was listening to her, 
she's a, this is talk about at work as a priestly offering, right? This is the primary way which she bears God's image. And one of the beautiful things Genesis 2 says is that that's your way of participating on the front line of God's mission. And there's unique possibilities for, for communion or connection with God that are made possible through your daily work that even something like Sunday morning can't replace. They're both beautiful, both unique, but they both form different ways of having intimacy or connection or communion with God through your daily work, but also gathered worship, right? Two forms of worship, two different locations, but essential parts of God's mission in the world. You see, you've sensing that excitement, you see the, the beauty and power of Genesis 1 and 2 to give us a bigger understanding of God's work in the world and his presence with us? All right. Not an amen congregation, that's all right. I can see it on some, I saw a couple of nods, you know, and so I'm taking it. Yes, amen. So let me just pause, though. This is going to come up in another uh, sermon later on in this series. But having just talked about the beauty and power and life-giving nature of work, I want to acknowledge um, an elephant in the room, and that is, for some of you, maybe many of you, your experience of work is very different from this, from what I just described. Maybe for some of you, your experience of work is actually more like the Babylonian creation story. It's oppressive, it's a form of suffering or anxiety or too much pressure on you. So what I want to say to you this morning is that there's good news in this, not to displace or to say you should, you know, it's, it's not okay to be upset or to be in pain about your work. But scripture shows us that in Genesis 3, we, end, we see that this beautiful vision of work becomes corrupted or distorted. It gets mixed in with suffering and pain. And as the story unfolds outside of Eden, the daughters and sons of Eve end up underneath Egypt in, in enslavement in Egypt for 400 years. Work is not just a source of joy. It's a source of uh, great pain and suffering and often injustice for many people. So if you're in that place, I want to encourage you to do what Israel do, did, and that is to cry out to God and lament from their workplaces. And Exodus, the book of Exodus said, God heard their cries and he intervened. And there's even more than that. In, in Romans 8, Paul tells us that in all of our groaning, the Holy Spirit himself groans along with us. There is, a, there is a way, there's a form of, of intimacy or connection with God that actually is opened up through our suffering. So you're not alone. God hears you. God hears the cries of your heart. And so maybe this morning, this is a subject for another sermon, but if you're in that place, wherever you are watching online or here in, in person, maybe the most productive time, use of your time in worship this morning is actually to pause and pour out your lament, your anguish, maybe even your anger, and, and write it out and lift it up to God. I give you permission. <laughs> you can check out. You don't have to listen to me as I keep preaching. But I just want to acknowledge that. It will come up again. I know Pastor Steve has this in the sermon series, a sermon that really focuses in on, uh, on suffering it through work. But now back to Genesis. I want to draw one more idea out of Genesis for you, and that is that your workplace or your work community, wherever that, that is, that is your parish, 
I want you to think of that as your parish. And what I mean by parish is just simply a particular place or community of people for which you have unique proximity and responsibility, right? It's, you know, you can reflect God's love to your neighbor, but like trying to think through like, well, who are the people I'm really with throughout the week, right? Think of that, that group of people or that place. That is your parish. So Eden was a parish. That was a specific place. It was a bounded place um, that had certain boundaries around it that Adam and Eve were commissioned to put their creative culture-making service gifts to use. And it was the primary location, actually, for them to participate in God's mission. So Adam was formed, we see in Genesis 2, from the dust of the ground and then given a privileged task of turning around and serving that very same soil. The Hebrew words here in Genesis 2 to talk about serving or tending the soil are abad and shamar. And outside of this text in Genesis 2, they're only found together in one other place in the Bible, and that's in the book of Numbers. And in that text, it it is, Shamar and Abad refer exclusively to the work of priests serving in the tabernacle. Right? So what you see this image with the writer of, of, of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible that are written together, what, they, what you see is that there's an echo going on here from Genesis 2 to Numbers. So the priests, when they thought about how do we do our work well in this place, this, the, the tabernacle, they looked back to Eden. They look back to how Adam and Eve engaged in service and work and worship in their parish, and that informed the priests. I want to I say that we can use Eden as a similar model for us. So in, in the midst of our mixture of joy and struggle at work, of praise and of pain, your workplace is still holy. It is a sacred place where you offer your priestly service to God may not always feel that way. So what might this look like practically? What difference might it make if you saw your daily work as priestly service and your workplace as a parish? Well, like Adam and Eve, your daily work in the home, neighborhood, job site, nonprofit where you volunteer, the little league field, God invites you to bear his image and participate in his mission in that place or in those few places. Give them priority in your mind in terms of prayer and thoughtfulness. Often, though, when I talk, about, when I talk to workers, they, they tell me that they don't hear a lot about work at their church. Right? So this is a, you know, what you are doing here at Princeton is, is more unique. And then they, I've heard from many Christians, they say that when I do hear about work at church, it's usually uh, the sermon will reference doctors, lawyers, teachers, right? And they'll, the pastor will connect how those vocations play a part in God's purposes in the world. But those, those jobs are important. Don't, I'm not disrespecting anybody in the healthcare or education. Um, but God's mission extends beyond that. There are many, many jobs, right, and industries that connect more with God's purposes for cultivating creation's potentials and promoting healthy communities. Professions like engineers, accountants, contractors, assembly line workers, and those in the service industries. Genesis teaches us that God's mission includes, yes, the job of evangelism and and missions. God cares about redemption. 
but he also cares about those jobs that bring order, innovation, justice, or beauty into the world. After all, God's mission began before the fall and prior to the need for redemption. So God's mission includes his creating and redeeming purposes. So three years ago, I was working on a bathroom remodel on our very old house. And if my wife is still watching, she knows what I'm going to say. Um, my wife will tell you that this bathroom remodel created a lot of stress and anxiety for me. We were expecting our first child. That was you, Warren. Um, and not having a full functioning bathroom added a lot of stress <laughs> to, to my life. Um, Everything was taking longer than it should have. None of the walls were square. The construction was cobbled together, and you're like, who was the moron that put this together, right? Is what you're thinking. Um, anyways, uh, that's what was going on in my mind. So on top of all this, though, our plumbing upstairs and downstairs backed up. And I was, I'm, like, I just, I'm like, this is too much. So I finally called a plumber, and a veteran plumber came to the house. And um, he came upstairs. He not only fixed the, the, the drains, but he showed me how I could do it, a trick. He's like, next time, just take some duct tape, put it over the blowhole, plunger, boom, you don't have to snake. It was just, it was boom, like it was five minutes or less, both drains, showed me how to do it, I don't have to pay him next time. But as he was doing his work, I was venting to him in the upstairs bathroom about my frustration trying to install the new plumbing on the tub. And I was just hitting a wall after wall, I couldn't figure it out. And I never forget, he looked at, he stopped, he looked at me, and he looked in my eyes, and he said, Corey, it'll be okay. You don't have to be so hard on yourself. Let me help you. He was unhurried, and he sensed my anxiety. And in those few moments, my plumber was a priest to me in my bathroom, and my bathroom was his parish. He not only contributed to God's mission by helping me fix the plumbing, by creating a safe environment. Imagine how sick we would be if we didn't have functioning plumbing and clean water. Right? God cares about that. That's part of God's <laughs> purposes, right? But he also was a, a priest to me in that he reflected God's presence and character through his patience and compassion. So, so both through his good work and his kind words. My plumber was a priest to me. Now, each one of you, each one of you here, and you're beginning to do this um, with Steve, should be, it's important to spend time reflecting on how your work aligns with God's mission. There's a, there's a song by the, the group Porter's Gate called Day by Day. And in this song, they go through different vocations, different jobs, and they connect it creatively with what, how might this promote flourishing or justice or wholeness, a beautiful community in the world? So let me read the lyrics for you. Server, you remind us of your sa our Savior's bowl and towel. Teacher, you are raising up a child to be kind. Lawyer, give us hope that justice one day will surround us. May God's kingdom come, on earth his will be done. Lord, be close to us. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, put your hand on us day by day. Farmer, you are working for a table full of bounty. Painter, with each color, you are teaching us to see. 
Nurse, yours are the hands that touch the poor and broken. Carpenter, you frame a house for those who need protection. Laborer, you lift a heavy burden for the weak. Leaders, build a city that all children may rejoice in. May God's kingdom come. On earth, his will be done. Lord, be close to us. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, put your hand on us day by day. God's mission includes both his creating and redeeming purposes. And some jobs are more closely related to some purposes more than others. But my hope and prayer is that in discussions over the next few weeks during this series, that you will come away with the confidence and clarity that your work belongs on God's mission map. Now there's one final point I want to leave you with as well. And that is this. Your daily work is perhaps the most tangible expression of the mission of Princeton CRC in West Michigan that there is. In your daily work, again, you are at the front line of God's mission in the world. Right here in our city, our county, and even south of 84th Street in the bit west. Your priestly service through your daily work is a tangible expression of the mission and witness of this church. Think about it. Every day, we could put up pictures, right? I'm going to name different vocations. What if we had pictures from different workplaces or parishes, right? parish places that pop up as I say this? Every week, you're leaving here today, going out this week, your church is engaging in God's mission in private and public schools, in HVAC and construction companies, law offices, engineering firms, healthcare, retirement homes, service industries, and imagine how many more I could name if I were knew you personally. Right? That's what this map over here is leading you to do. So we need to update this mission map, and you've already begun to do that. Every time you offer up, um, every time you seek to reflect God's character and act out shalom and justice in your work, you are being a faithful priest and a vibrant witness of how God is at work in this congregation. Every time you offer up to God the sorrows and joys, the needs and laments of your co-workers or others from your parish, you are being a faithful priest and a testimony to how God is at work and wants to be at work in this world. So I want to invite you into a prayer practice this coming week. With your particular parish in mind, I want you to invite God to speak to you as you reflect on these questions this morning, but I really hope you take it. It's on the back of the bulletin that was handed out to you this morning, the order of worship. These questions. Where do I see deep pain and brokenness or injustice in my parish? Where do I long for God's redeeming power and shalom to break in? How might I articulate my longing to see God's purposes for justice and peace to be cultivated in my parish? And as you write out those longings to God, use the refrain from the Lord's Prayer, Father, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my parish as it is in heaven. I want to close with a prayer from, uh, from Joel, a friend of mine who is a priest and a small business owner. As I read these words, allow his words to inspire 
or encourage you to offer up your own prayers for your parish. Joel prays this. Father, I long to see business owners that have a vision for helping their employees experience shalom within their families and for vendors to take responsibility for their mistakes and make good on their promises. I long to see the concept of value be understood as much more than the bottom line. For people purchasing products to be more concerned about the process and with the people involved in bringing the product to market than simply with how low the price is. I long to see people being satisfied with what they have and for those who have plenty to generously give to all who are in need. Father, let your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth in Joel's parish, even as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.